What is shaking with Shane or what is? What is? What is shaking with Shane or what is? Hey! What's shaking with Shane or the podcast that celebrates the passion and the madness of the geek, the nerd, and often the absurd. With your host, Shaken Shaner and Psycho Bob the Cat. This is me saying, what's up, chicken butt? That's right. Welcome to another episode of What's Shaken with Shaner. As always, I am your host, Shaken Shaner. I hope you've been able to just Get deep down and roll around in all of those geeky, nerdy things you love so much. Why? Well, I think it's important to spend some time on your guilty pleasures, which will help feed your passion and ultimately feed your soul. Stay true to you. It's pretty exciting to see the ranks of the nerd herd continue to grow. For example, today on the show, we have one of you. That's right. A member of the Nerd Herd is joining us. I know, pretty exciting. Some of our newest members of the Herd hail from some new cities in Germany. That's right, new cities in Germany and Nebraska. That's a little little weird contrast, Germany, Nebraska. Eh, what are you going to do? So, hey, welcome. Take off your coat, kick off your shoes, grab a seat, and stay a while. We are ready to jump down another rabbit hole, which is just Another oddity that does not always come up in normal conversations with the norms. Yeah, you know who I'm talking about. If you've listened to our first episode ever on Spider-Man and his amazing friends, or the absurdity of episode 10 and the gate control theory of pain, you kind of get what we're going for here. If you've not listened to those episodes yet, hey, that's all right. Relax, calm down, because we can help you with that. You can head right on over to our website, shakenshainer.com. What was that? Shakenshainer.com, where you can find all of our episodes and additional content. And remember, there's no G in Shaken. We are now publishing episodes every two weeks, every other Sunday. One longer episode, like this one, and a shorter one, which features the coolest cat ever. That's right, Psycho Bob the Cat. So before he starts his usual caterwauling, let's get this show moving in the right direction. Right meow. Right meow? Are you kidding me? Uh, Bob! When we started this show a few years ago, we had a format based on a rotation of subjects that we used to call Shake and Shaner's Sensational Cycle of Subjects. We got away from it, but hey, Here's the exciting news. We're getting back to that. That's right. We're getting right back to it. But now we're calling it Shake and Shaner's Tantalizing Turn turn of Topics. topics. I know. Just rolls off the tongue. Each episode will be a different topic. And today, we are set to discuss a cartoon or animated series. Our very first episode, as I mentioned, was a 1981 animated series, Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends. So it makes sense that today, coming back to this format, we're going right back to Spidey. We are going to discuss the series known as Spider-Man 2003 or even MTV Spider-Man. And initially, it was intended to serve as a continuation of Sam Raimi's 2002 Spider-Man film, which was the first one with Tobey Maguire. And it was all supposed to be a loose adaptation 
of the Ultimate Spider-Man comics by Brian Michael Bendis. The show was made using CGI, and it ran only for one season, 13 episodes, premiering on MTV in July of 2003. Currently, the show is no longer considered to be canon due to the events of Spider-Man's sequel. That's right, the follow-up, Spider-Man 2. This one has kind of just fallen by the wayside. That's why we are here to talk about it, to make sure everybody's fully aware of Spider-Man 2003, or just for the sake of easy, I'm going to call it MTV Spider-Man. So in order for us to get this done the right way, I have enlisted the assistance of a fellow comic book nerd. That's right. He's a geek from way back. Will. Will's a Navy veteran and a lover of all things superhero and animation. Good morning, Will. Glad to have you on the show for the first time. Good morning, Shane. Glad to be here. You know, there's nothing weird, strange, or absurd about two 50-year-old men talking about a comic book character wearing spandex. So looking forward to today's conversation. You make that sound like it's not normal. I don't know. Maybe you're the one that's a little weird. Well, I am very secure in being 51 years old and still watching cartoons. I am. I also watch a lot of cartoons. It's just, um, this one was a different callback because I was actually uh, transitioning out of the Navy at the time and very broke and only able to catch you know bits and pieces of the show here and there. So it was nice to be able to go back and watch it again on the, uh, on the streaming platform. And that is a great point. I'm glad you brought it up, Will. If you missed MTV's Spider-Man in 2003, it is now available on Disney+. Plus. If you got Disney+, Plus, you can go on there and check out all 13 episodes. Just a little disclaimer, I don't think they're in the right order. I don't believe they're in the right order on the streaming platform, nor were they actually released in the right order uh, because of budgetary issues and production setbacks. I think the best thing to do is just watch them and enjoy the ride. When we first talked about this, I thought maybe it was developed like at the very first Apple computer, kind of like the one you saw from uh, Zoolander, where they're trying to get the file, the hard drive out of the computer, and they're smashing it on the ground. This kind of animation just kind of reminded me of that. And we're going to get into the animation here in a minute. You said you remember seeing bits of piece of this in, in 2003. I somehow missed this. I think I know how I was engaged and I got married in 2003. So I was a, probably a tad bit distracted. Now I'm on a different marriage, thank God. And I'm kind of disappointed I missed this in 2003. And I should probably be careful because my ex-wife does listen to this show. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. When I got out of the Navy, the first job I had, I worked midnights. So I think it was one of these magazines, one of those entertainment magazines I was just reading on the lounge on a break. I saw the uh, write-up for it, and they talked about Doogie Howser and Neil Patrick Harris being the star of it. My roommate and I were basically able to afford base uh, cable, and MTV was you know, part of the free channel. So here and there, I would watch it, but not more than just a few episodes. Yeah, I think I caught some of it before, but again, my memory's a little, a little foggy when I go back to that point in my life. So I'm really glad I was able to discover it since then on Disney Plus and get a chance to go through it. I am uh, glad we're able to have you with us here this morning so we can have this conversation. Do you remember anything specific sticking out back in 2003? I know you said you saw articles and you caught a few episodes. Did anything strike you then versus watching it now? The transitions of certain things, like when you would see Spider-Man jump from the ground level somewhere, 
and all of a sudden you go from civilian Peter Parker to Spider-Man in his costume that quick. And then even the uh, the, Spidey, the Spider Tingle, or Peter Tingle, I'm sorry, we'll go to that one, Peter Tingle, where he can somehow see the numbers on like the bomb or, you know, certain things, but then sometimes he would miss somebody throwing something at him. It was just the inconsistencies in that. Overall, it was just the way the show was formatted, just the animation of it. That's what really stood out to me because it just looked so different compared to anything else at that time. I have had a passion for Spider-Man as long as I can remember. My first memories of Spider-Man, as we indicated in our very first episode, was Spider-Man and his amazing friends loved that show oh so, oh so much. But before we jump in talking about MTV Spider-Man, there were additional animated Spider-Man series uh, back in the 60s, I believe was the very first one, then Spider-Man and his amazing friends in the 80s, in the 90s, that very terrific long run of Spider-Man, the animated series, which was awesome. It was on for a few years. We haven't talked about that one yet, but that's okay, because I really wanted to jump in and talk about this one. So this is set shortly after the events of the 2002 Spider-Man movie that first starred Tobey Maguire. This has Peter Parker and his friends Mary Jane Watson and Harry Osborn, and it has them all and attending. Empire State University together. As you can tell watching this, Peter and Mary Jane were really trying to establish a relationship in these 13 episodes. It didn't really go very well. And then you throw in, of course, Peter being Spider-Man and his later involvement with a young lady, Indira, who we just call Indy. And she was kind of interfering with his romance with Mary Jane. And then, of course, let's not forget Harry Osborn continuously blaming Spider-Man for the death of his father. Peter faces an assortment of villains, including the Lizard, Craven the Hunter, Electro, and a few other new villains and older villains are revisited as well. Since this was on MTV, they had the ability to make this a much more mature and darker series. What surprised me the most was essentially the show showed characters actually dying and being killed. For example, in the episode The Party, when Max Dillon a friend in college with Peter, when he becomes Electro, he actually killed the campus king, the campus bully, Doug Reisman. I got to tell you, that kind of shocked me that they actually included somebody being murdered by a supervillain. Will, were, there, were you surprised by that death and the overall darker tones uh, of the series? Interesting that they actually used death to kind of bring it to a grounded state. I like the. Um that mature theme, it was the second one I saw where the, uh, the, the Ronin, and the assassin, when she stabbed Clancy Brown, you know, animated royalty for voice cartoons. You saw, you didn't see the, the sword go through him per se, but you know, he died and you're just like, holy crap, this is getting real for a cartoon. And it made it more enjoyable as, you know, as an older person as we are to have something that you can kind of relate to as far as it's not always just cheeky. Okay. They're locked up and go to jail. Con you know, actions have consequences. And that's what I kind of enjoyed about this, you know, this tone and the setting of the show. Right. This wasn't the uh, 80s TV show, The A-Team, where they would always create all these elaborate freaking weapons and plans, but would always shoot everybody, would it shoot around people's feet and around their body, never hitting anybody and nobody was ever shot and wounded. I am so glad they didn't do that. To your point, it really did ground this whole series a lot more for me 
because it had real consequences. Even today, when you start looking at comic books or your movies, you can definitely see a thematic difference between like a DC movie and a Marvel movie. Whereas your Marvel movies, bad guys are kind of like disposable. You're really just trying to figure out who the hero is. So you don't get a lot of character depth. But when you start looking at this show, you start to see like that one with Electro in the very stages of Electro. When Max became the early stages of that character, you saw his bullying, his history, his probably is, you know, the mental health he went through. His actions were to be just go from one extreme to the violent extreme. And you got a chance to really experience that pain he went through and then saw the frustration taken out. And I think that really made a difference in that show. I couldn't agree more. I know I seem like this very cool, well-rounded, well-liked guy. In high school and college, I wasn't. I know it's hard to believe. I was a target of bullies made fun of more than once. And another shocker, my mouth would get me in trouble. I know. Nobody saw that coming either. Back to this with uh, Max Dillon in, in college. I got to be honest, I rewatched that episode again this morning. It resonated with me so much more the second time because you could feel what he was going through, right? You could feel the anguish, the pain, the bullying. And I'm not trying to say he justified the fact he became electoral and murdered the guy, but they made it so much more real, I think, in the series than what I experienced in probably any of the other series, let alone some of the movies. It, it felt very genuine. It didn't feel like it was tacked on or just put in as a script device. It felt real. Yeah. So if you think about it like this, when you watch Spider-Man, the first one with Sam Raimi and Tobey Maguire, and he gets into a fight with Flash Thompson, Peter is scolded for punching back, right? Because he could have done more, but you know, your great power comes great responsibility. Whereas this one, there was none of that. It is the direct opposite. It's okay. I'm bullied. I'm tired of it. Now I have power. And you could also sense the part where, like in a lot of the tropes, the, the kid that's being bullied turns his back on the friends who are always supportive of him. Like in this show, Peter was supportive of Max and tried to help him, but he turns his back on him because Max thought he was going to become popular. So is that betrayal. And then most importantly, it was done in such a public manner. So he was definitely angry. And it kind of showed that all of that just built up in him. And I don't know, maybe the ability to become Electro was kind of that uh, that metaphor for just releasing that energy and that power in the way, <clears throat> excuse me, releasing the energy and the power so that way he could finally get back the way he wanted to, to always be a person of attention, a person of great strength and decided to use that in, but just in a bad way. And sometimes it comes down to uh, wanting to actually be in control because those of us who don't have power, who maybe grew up poor or were bullied or picked on, you never have a sense of power over your own direction. And maybe that's what Max was showing when he became Electro is he was finally claiming the direction in his life by using his newfound power. I'm not saying he should have killed Doug Reisman, but what I'm saying is I probably would have tried to whoop his ass too. That guy was a dick. Like you, I was bullied a lot. I mean, shoot, I was always the smallest kid in the, uh, in the school. And then you always have the... Um just being an easy target, right? So like you, my mouth didn't necessarily get me in trouble. My mouth is what allowed me to fight back. I just learned that, yeah, I can't fight everybody, but I can talk people on the ground. So I just started rapid firing and just became good at trash talk. But that was, you know, that was my release. I didn't have that. But my dad always told me, if if a bully punches you, you punch him back. And if you're going to get into a fight, get into a fight with the biggest person. So that way the others will, you know, have a second thought. 
but the, you know, this thing here, you don't know what Max's history was like. Maybe he was poor, maybe single family home, maybe dad was disconnected. So you don't know where that, uh, that education you would have had as far as a child with a good set of parents at home could have helped you, helped him grow and mature this and handle it better. Right. And I'm glad we're having this conversation because since it is MTV Spider-Man, it really is a much more mature, darker tone than what we've seen in anything previously for a Spider-Man cartoon. Also, not only did it not hide murder and rage and mental health issues, it didn't hide that the characters were actively having sex. Now, obviously, they didn't show any of that. And I may not be the smartest man in the world, but in a show about college students, I kind of picked up on what was going on. Harry was a serious playboy throughout this 13 episodes. That didn't surprise me. But what did really kind of surprise me was they really alluded to the fact that Peter and Indy were having sex. And then in the last two episodes, there was even a reference of a potential threesome between Peter, MJ, and Indy. I got to tell you, I don't think I was quite prepared for that, but it was almost refreshing them trying to expand this this grounding of the series in real life for college students. Yeah, the sexual tension was there, wasn't it? The um, episode where Peter opens the door, MJ walks in, and then Indy's coming downstairs and zipping up her, her skirt or whatnot. That one kind of surprised me, too, and I laughed hysterically at that one. It's like, you, you didn't see that at all in any of the, uh, the Sam Raimi movies. Go back and think about this, Shane, and I, I was really kind of looking at it, is if you remember Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man, the, uh, the landlord's daughter, they always had kind of a hint, but they never really pursued it. It was always just, you know, chocolate cake and milk or cookies and milk, and that was as close as it got. But here you saw Peter pursued and then reciprocate, you know, that attention, even though he was always still trying to figure something out with Mary Jane. But yeah, to your point, I remember seeing that that second Spider-Man Sam Raimi movie you're talking about and always thought, why wasn't Peter paying attention to her, uh, the landlord's daughter? Because it was obvious she was into him. I think he missed an opportunity. Just saying. It probably would have helped with the rent too. Just, you know. I'm not saying I'm a saint. I'm not saying I'm a, a whore. But what I'm saying is, I probably would have considered a, a little, you know, a little, hey, how you doing to help with the rent? <laughs> I wonder if that would have uh, got him in more trouble with the rent as it was anyways. Um, you know, nothing worse than having the one bathroom being broken into, wondering why you're hanging out with his daughter in an inappropriate manner. So, Yeah, that's a good point. There wasn't a whole lot of privacy in there, was there? I did enjoy that, too, because it... Even in the movies, it, it got kind of irritating to see that cat and mouse game play out the entire time. So it showed that, you know, Peter wasn't always just waiting. He wasn't always on standby. He wasn't doing something with his life. And that's why I guess I enjoyed the relationship that him and Indy eventually created. She was working at that news station and actually outside of, and here's one of the kind of updates to, to the series a little bit. He was always a photographer, a freelancer for the Daily Bugle. But Indy worked for that uh, cable or that TV network, uh, News One, I think is what it was called, or TV One. And he was recording, what was that? Video. Oh, my God. I know that sounds, oh, yeah, that everybody does that all the time. This was 2003. In 2002, I bought my ex-wife her very first digital camera. This was long before they were on phones, long before we had smartphones. And it was a high-end camera. I think I paid like $400 for it back then. 
would be considered a laughing stock today. But my point is the difference. This this came out 20 years ago, right? So the fact they were updating Spider-Man from just being a, a freelance photographer to actually a videographer and getting involved in some of the more current technologies, I thought was a nice twist to the whole show. Yeah, I like that. Uh, that was that Silver Sable episode where he caught Sable, you know, with her long gun in a high rise. And I, and I was thinking the same exact thing. It's like, wow, normally back in those days, you would imagine somebody with that big old VHS camera standing there. Instead, he's got his, you know, nice Nikon or whatever it was camera and he's recording it. And then you also saw where they went into that news station and were able to edit and, and go back and see the perfect reflection, of course. But it was just that nice, that reference, because like you said, in 2003, I think I was buying my next flip phone. So, Yeah, it's crazy how much uh, everything changes, technology and everything. And by the way, we're now back. Samsung's bringing us back to flip phones with flip screens and all that other crazy stuff. So it's like anything. Wait about 20 years. It'll cycle through one more time. Yeah, I think it's kind of funny now you see Samsung showing the flip phone. Back when you had the stylus pen that goes all the way back to the initial Blackberries. And it's like, okay, so retro is cool, but now they're going to charge an extra 500 bucks for it. So, Well, of course they are, because that's called smart business, sir. Smart business. All right, now that we've jumped into a little bit about the series and the tone and the, the overall more mature feel of MTV Spider-Man, let's talk a little bit about some of the characters. As we discussed, Obviously, we have Peter Parker, Mary Jane, and Harry Osborn, and we also talked about one of the new characters, Indy, who I don't believe was in the comics up to that point. Outside of them, they also brought back a few familiar faces, including J. Jonah Jameson and Flash Thompson, but several of the usual suspects were missing, such as Robbie from The Bugle, uh, Betty, Betty Brandt from The Bugle as well. But I think the most noticeable missing in action in this series was Aunt May. Aunt May was nowhere to be seen, with the exception of Peter had a picture of her. Uh, I believe it was in his bedroom. I was wondering why we didn't see her in there, and I stumbled across this while I was researching. MTV executives did not, under any circumstances, want to include Aunt May. And the reason they wanted to keep Aunt May out of this series was because they didn't want their young MTV kids to be watching an elderly woman. They thought that the appearance of Aunt May would deter their target youth audience and they'd stop watching the show. I get that, but I Aunt May is such a huge part of everything. I can understand why you want to leave her out because he's in college, but it just doesn't feel right. Well, what do you think about them leaving Aunt May out of this series? Do you think it was a mistake or do you think it worked better with her not being in it? You know, Shane, at first when I started thinking about that and why you didn't even see her on the phone, like maybe just saying, hey, Aunt May, it's great talking to you. I'll you know, see, talk to you soon. I think they missed out on the history of Spider-Man. And that goes into the executives overthinking, you know, the idea of such an important character inclusion. When you look at the end of the, of the run where he decides to throw his you know, Spider-Man suit in the river and walk away, that would have been the time before that particular scene, that would have been the time to have him talk to Aunt May. Because their entire relationship is built on, on loss and grievance, but overcoming it and moving on. So the emotional aspect of it was kind of missed there. 
and I do like Aunt May. I don't I don't know why they would have done that. Other again, other they just think they're they're overthinking their demographic and not understanding that Aunt May is a strong role model for Peter. When you look at any type of character, we all have someone we look up to, and Aunt May was his. That was one of the things in the in the Sam Raimi movies, and then the other uh, um, amazing Spider-Man movies. There was the the elderly Aunt May in the second reiteration, Sally Fields, right? She played Aunt May. Yep, Sally Field, and then Marissa Tomei just did it with the Tom Holland version, and all three were catalysts to Spider-Man's growth. All of them. Misstep. Let's be honest. Marissa Tomei was not portrayed as an elderly, poor little old Aunt May in the Tom Holland movies. I know I'm not the only one that sat up one. Is that Marissa Tomei? Holy crap. She's bending over. She's got a low-cut blouse on. Come on. We were all thinking that. So the point I'm trying to make is MTV was so worried about that older demographic, but then when Marvel got into this one with the Tom Holland, they threw that twist and made Aunt May not such an old fuddy-duddy, but kind of a, hey, how you doing? Well, that and Marissa Tim May also served as the Uncle Ben of the movie, too. You know, the whole great power responsibility thing was hers. I mean, Aunt May in the comics was always old, older, and in the movies, she was older, but they could have did some animated touch-up so she would have seemed as old. But at least the voice, a voice could have been on the phone and he could have been talking to her on the phone at the very, you know, at, some, at the minimum to show that connection. Yeah, I think they did miss out on not having her there. But again, I understand why they kept her out, but it just felt awkward not seeing Aunt May as a part of this. But they also did include some other characters. Like Kingpin. Kingpin was brought into uh, the series, but I was a little disappointed because they very much made the Kingpin in this MTV Spider-Man series the version that was in Daredevil, the movie with Ben Affleck that came out in the early part, I think February of 2003. I have always struggled with that casting of Kingpin. In the comics, Kingpin was not just a big brute. He was also extremely intellectual, and he was very brilliant in business. The kingpin they portrayed in the Daredevil movie and then brought forward into this, the MTV Spider-Man, he seems like just a thug and not that master gamesmanship intellectual power that we've come to know as being kingpin. What do you think? Struggling's probably the nicest thing I can say about it. Michael Clark Duncan was a good actor. Um... I enjoyed him in a lot of movie roles, but I didn't feel he was cast correctly in Daredevil. Definitely would love to never hear about Ben Affleck's Daredevil ever again. So just to see this referenced, it was disappointing. And like you, when you go back to the animation and whatnot, Kingpin was always big, oversized, you know, overweight type person. Very strong, very powerful. But like you said, he was always playing chess when others were playing checkers. Ben Affleck's Daredevil, like you said, he was just a crime boss. There's nothing in there to show how smart he was and how he organized so much. So to me, this kind of felt like uh, a lot of your superhero TV shows where you have your disposable villain of the week. Okay, here's a bad guy, Big Dave. By the end, you never really felt that he was going to be a threat to Spider-Man and what he was going to accomplish. And honestly, Spider-Man beat him entirely way too easy in the cartoon. That's because he couldn't outthink him. Come on. That's exactly why he beat him, because he wasn't smart enough to beat Spider-Man. There were a lot of other characters uh, somewhat referenced in this and some new ones, like 
really enjoy the episode Head Over Heels with a young lady by the name of Christina playing, I don't know, a bit of a fan of Peter and Spider-Man. And again, I think this is another example that we're talking about the darker tones and much more mature issues that this series was dealing with, because it's very clear Christina was struggling with some serious mental health issues and pretty much went insane by the by the end of that episode. Well, what characters were you surprised by? Which ones did you enjoy from the series? And what were some of the other things you noticed? I know it was only 13 episodes, but actually there's a lot to talk about in these 13 episodes. I was very excited to see, and I'll go back to Silver Sable. She's been one of my favorite characters for a long time. And I would like to see her brought to, you know, a movie or something, just because in a way she reminds me of the way, if you go back to another comic version of a superhero Batman, look at Bane. So she's an assassin, very well connected. And you could really do an entire season long episode of, you know, those two playing cat and mouse with each other. I very much enjoyed Craven the Hunter, even though I think Craven in this, you know, episodes were a little underdeveloped, just kind of tips saying he wasn't going back to the gulag. But I always enjoyed Craven the Hunter. I'm looking forward to the movie they're coming out with him. But then also it was the second one I saw, and I I'm sorry, I forget the name, the name of the episode, but it was with a Ronin assassin. I liked that character, the sword, having that, you know, mystical power. Shikata. Chicana yet. So that was very much, uh, very fun to watch. And again, that was also the one that really, you didn't have this character who was such a badass, who was just knocking people out. She killed people. So it was, it helped kind of give that grounding to it. Right. And she was whooping the shit out of people. And to your point, did uh, murderize a few people. Hold on. We're going to jump into the CGI here in just a minute. But right now we're old men in their fifties and we got to go pee. We'll be right back. As we noted earlier, this show was completely done in CGI. Unlike all of the previous Spider-Man animation, this was really solely CGI. When I was watching this recently, a few things really stuck out to me, and some of them were, wow, this is really cool animation. I loved what they did with the Spider-Sense and the way that looked visually, and some of this, the fight sequences, him swinging through uh, New York City. A lot of that I thought was amazing. Then there were some other scenes where I'm sitting there going, holy crap, this is really, really bad CGI. I recently uh, saw a comment from somebody that said when you watched the first episode, you're like, wow, this is really cool. But yet by the time the, the 13 episodes were over, the CGI and the tech they were using was already outdated. Well, what is your overall take on the animation, the CGI of MTV Spider-Man. Um, I'm sorry, Shane, I had to put my depends on so we can finish this episode without another bathroom break. I'm sorry. That's right. I, I got a catheter in, so we're cool. <laughs> at first, like you said, it was it was cool at first. And then when I did some reading, the style was meant with a cell shading to reduce the color. So that way they could do a, a 3D where it wasn't look 3D. So that way it would kind of look like a comic book panel, as it was being told. For that many episodes, that kind of animation, that was a bit much. It, you know, back in 2003, that was cool. It was new. Today, it, it makes it a little harder to get through the whole thing. And it kind of reminded me, uh, if you remember the Ang Lee Hulk movie with Eric Bana, that movie was told supposedly to be like a comic book, and it just doesn't work now. It was nice at the time, and it, when I remember watching the couple episodes I did, it was it was different. It was nice, but now 
I couldn't do that again. Uh, not an entire season at once anyways. By the way, your reference to the Ang Lee uh, Incredible Hulk with Eric Bana. I think I'm one of the few people in the world that love that movie, saw it in the theater more than once. I like it. I know, I know. People are going to throw tomatoes at me when they see me in public again, but I did like it. But to your point, it was a little too much all the time done in this style because some of it just seemed there was no smoothing out of some of the characters, some of the scenery. They had no smooth edges. It felt very uh, raw in that because I think it was an early part of this technology. But one of the things that really stuck out to me has to be that MJ, Mary Jane, her headlights were on this entire frickin' 13 episodes. What do I mean by that? I mean, her boobs were sitting up high and pointing out pretty much the whole time in every scene. I thought she was going to poke somebody's eye out. I'm telling you, it's that obvious. Well, do you think it was intentional for her, her breasts to look like that? Or do you think this was just bad CGI in the early parts of the concept? Or do you think they intentionally wanted people to look at Mary Jane and go, oh, yeah, look at those things? I think it was all of the above, Shane, because even Indy, every character in that show was built perfect. So it almost seemed like they had two models for male and female, and then they just changed the, the, the face or the, the accessories. Um, and we'll go back to Kingpin. Kingpin was not the overweight crime boss that he normally is. He's a muscular person in this. So Mary Jane, Indy. Um, no waistline, even the villains, they were shaped perfectly, but some had more clothing on. You always saw Mary Jane's waistline. And like you said, she was always dressed that way to where her breasts were always out there. So it was, yeah, definitely, definitely provocative for a cartoon. Well, and I think given what we talked about before about this being targeted to MTV's youthful audience, I believe that all had to be intentional because you mentioned Silver Sable. She was rocking her, uh, her body in that entire thing. Indy was looking good. Japanese woman who I think was some kind of warrior from days of old. Even she was looking hot. So to your point, I think they were intentionally overly sexualizing the female characters in this Spider-Man series. Back to Aunt May. Maybe that's why they didn't bring Aunt May in because it would have been a complete contrast to what they were showing with the college student. I remember going to campus and the freshman 15, it's like, did they not have any $5 meal deals at, at Empire State University? Because everybody was just too perfect. I guess they could all afford salads back then. The other thing I really noticed, I'm glad you brought that up. The other thing I really noticed in this series is not the food, but the coffee. How many of the episodes dealt around the coffee stand or Harry Osborne always had a cup of coffee in his hand when it wasn't a martini? That really stuck out to me. I guess I don't remember early 2000s being the big coffee. Everybody was drinking coffee back then. I've been drinking coffee for so long. I'm numb to it all by now. But that was the other thing that really stuck out to me in this series is there was so much coffee consumption. And I don't think that was just happenstance either. Well, how about it was kind of weird where the... uh... The, the coffee cart vendor knew the characters so well and knew where they were going. It's like stock much, maybe, sir. You know, maybe that was a, you know, a different take. It's almost like he was a spy. You kind of felt like he was maybe intended to be something more. Again, it's only lasted 13 episodes. There could have been a story plot for him. You almost get the feeling that he could have been set up for something in season two, but obviously it never happened. 
But you're right. He did kind of know everybody, and he was having their coffee ready for them when they walked up. Don't get me wrong. Good service is good service. But it felt like there was an undertone, because didn't they try to peg him as one of the villains or, or one of the heroes at one part in uh, this the series? I remember that. I think it was they were trying to peg him as Spider-Man, weren't they? Yeah, it was something like that. It was just, you know, going back to the idea that here's a big campus, how many students, but he always knew them. So there was, they could have really built on that and gone either way. They could have taken it where he acted more like a hero. And then later on, turned out he was some creepy person that was trying to always find, you know, Mary Jane. That could have been a very real topic. You know, and then it could have been something where he saves the day because he just happens to be with a coffee cart somewhere. So we've talked a little bit about the CGI and the animation and how everything looked different. The bodies all look good, but we haven't yet mentioned the voices. One of the big things that this series claimed was it had Neil Patrick Harris as Peter Parker or Spider-Man. The series received a lot of positive reviews mostly praising the voice acting of Neil Patrick Harris. I enjoyed him in this. I didn't catch it right away. I think the first uh, episode, I think it was like the second episode I watched. I'm like, oh my God, that sounds like Doogie Howser, right? Neil Patrick Harris. For those of you who don't know uh, Do- Doogie Howser is because Will and I are old men. It was a popular TV show in the 80s. I really thought he did a good job in this whole series. I enjoyed him playing Peter Parker. Will, what did you think? Did you recognize it right away or did you already know it before you started? Did you enjoy him being the voice of Spider-Man? I did know it was him before it started because, as I mentioned, I read about it in a magazine and they talked about NPH, uh, NPH going back to Harold and Kumar or go to White Castle. You know, NPH wouldn't do certain things. Dramatically, he, he hit the bill right on the head. He was perfect. But I did kind of feel it was lacking a little bit in the, in the whimsical department. Spider-Man is known for his one-liners, his catchphrases. Neil Patrick Harris is such a great dramatic actor that it doesn't, the comedy side didn't really translate to me there. But overall, he was very good and worthy of, you know, any praise he got for it, though. So you're saying he didn't dial up the smart ass enough. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Because that's the one thing that Spider-Man does, too, is he does trash talk. He's one of the few heroes that trash talks the villains, and he does it very well. And there was some of that in the series. Um, Some of it was good. Some of it missed the mark. But overall, I really liked uh, Neil Patrick Harris being in this. I thought he did a really good job. And then that brings me to the next voice actor I want to talk about, and that is the voice of Mary Jane, Lisa Loeb. I had no idea she was in this. And when I found out it was her, I got pretty excited because like most of us that were growing up as young men in the 90s, I think it's safe to say a lot of us had a crush on Lisa Loeb. She was perfect. I really thought she was great at this. She was able to catch the the jealous side. She was able to catch the inquisitive side. And then you could even sense that there was a connection between her and the character of Spider-Man when they would you know, have their alleyway kisses and whatnot. I thought she was great. And like you said, I, I back in those days when we were much younger, very, very astounding woman to just kind of keep up with and just follow it musically and just a social person. Yeah, I thought they did a very good job bringing those two. And I thought Neil Patrick Harrison and Lisa Loeb did well in the characters. But just jumping back to Craven the Hunter a, a little bit, what the hell was up with his accent? Whoever was a voice actor of Craven in this show did not do Craven justice. I'm just saying I was greatly disappointed. Thought he had a good look, but I'm like, what? That that that's not the right voice. Who do I call? Yeah, I know it's been off the air for 19 years, 
Who do I complain to? Hello. Yeah, I think though I will uh, I will uh, match that and say J. Jonah Jameson's voice actor that did not work at all. And I think the reason that won't work is because of the man we've had playing J. Jonah Jameson for the last twenty some odd years. You can't get much better than that. And right, and even the uh, Spider-Man the animated series, Amazing Friends, Jonas J- Jonas was an angry person, but the voice still matched the character. This one just did not feel like it was there at all. Yeah, and it, it really did feel way off. And how can you not like J. Jonah? But yes, I think the one character that besides J. Jonah Jameson that I would have liked to have seen recasted was Harry. I didn't really like Ian Zier. Uh, I can't remember pronounce his last name. I didn't really care for him as Harry. Character Harry was done, I would say, correct for the show and how it was tying, tying into the movies. But I didn't just care for his particular take on the character itself. One, very angry about Spider-Man killing his dad, obviously. But he came off too much of a sarcastic, disinterested party guy who was just all wanting to get in the the next co-ed's belongings. You know, I'm not trying to say he was just trying to hump everything in the move. But essentially he was, right? Yeah. Now, did you pick up on it, though, that there you can kind of see the beginning of the Harry and Mary Jane romance in this? Because there's just certain parts of that where they were also hinting those two were going to start moving together a little bit. Because he was always trying to help her in some way. I think at one in one of the episodes, again, I can't remember which one, they talked about how they were an item previously. Oh, that's right. That's right. I'm sorry. Yeah, because even when she was drawing on his face. I was a little surprised about the cameo in the last two episodes, and that is Stan Lee. That's right. Excelsior, true believers. Stan Lee was in this series. It was the last two episodes, but he wasn't there as Stan Lee. He was the voice of somebody who who owned the building that the Gaines twins were held up in in the last two episodes. That the fact that we got a Stan Lee cameo, even though if it was just a voice, surprised me. But again, the minute he started talking, you knew exactly it was Stan frickin' Lee. Did you enjoy having Stan Lee even as a voice cameo in this? It's the point now when I go to see movies, I miss the Stan Lee cameo. And I was actually surprised at one point Disney was trying to remove the Stan Lee cameos off all their movies. I don't know why. Going back to seeing Stan Lee and Iron Man and the Hulk and all those little tidbits, it was just it got to the point where it's almost like, where's Waldo? You're just trying to wait for Stan Lee to pop up. So to hear him have a cameo in this where Spider-Man, I believe, was one of his creations. You know, he was very vested in Spider-Man. So to see him in that, and it was great. It really was. Yeah, I think my favorite cameo in all of the uh, MCU movies, probably Civil War, because it was at the very end. He was the FedEx delivery guy and had a package for Tony Stank. Yep, Tony Stank. Yep, you're never going to get rid of that one. Here's here, Mr. Stank. He's right here. Uh, so, no, it was really exciting to see Stan Lee a part of this series even though it was the very end, which brings me to the next point. And that is the Gaines twins in this. It was a brother and a sister who had psychic abilities and some weird connection between the two of them. I don't think they were hiding the fact that these two were involved with each other as brother and sister. They made that a little weird in the show. At least I took it that the Gaines twins were having a relationship other than just being brothers and sisters. But they were also pretty scary as far as villains because of what they were doing mentally 
And the fact, and, and this goes back to this whole show and the more mature tone and, and the darker grounding of everything in this. Mary Jane dies. Horrible shit happens. You come to find out it's just inside Peter Parker's head, Spider-Man's head. But when they killed Mary Jane, at first I was like, oh, God, I hope this ain't real. That was pretty shocking. Overall, this whole show and the Gaines twins at the very end, I think, really added a whole new depth to this series by showing some other things we normally don't see in Saturday morning cartoons or animation in general, right? So I liked that part of it, but I really did still hate those two episodes. Why? Because at the end of it, Peter, as you already alluded to, Will, Peter threw his Spider-Man suit in, in the river and walks away. And then that's the last episode. They don't renew it. And now we got a cliffhanger not knowing what the hell happened. I did like it, but still, it, it kind of stung a bit. Those were actually my two favorite episodes. But I understand the cliffhanger part because you were expecting that to continue at some point. I also thought there were something a little bit more going on because brothers and sisters don't normally um, do the mall walk when they're walking together, hands on each other's hips as they're walking around. That was a little odd. But in a way, if you think of the characters, I guess it makes sense because they're the only two that could you know, really ever have a relationship with each other with that you know, psychic ability. And the way they were able to manipulate Spider-Man into getting revenge on Kraven for them, I thought that was a great, great plot point. You know, that was fun. That kind of just goes back into they didn't develop Craven enough to really explain why the motivation was so much. Yeah, this he killed their parents, but how? You know, what made them want to just spend this entire life going through revenge and how, what have they done? I enjoyed the twins. That that was a perfect, like you said, tone for the show. And it was a good way to end it for a cliffhanger. It's just unfortunate MTV decided that it didn't match. The show didn't match the demographics they were wanting to continue their episodes or I mean their television programming with. It could have been a lot more, but it was a, a really good two episodes. The series received mostly positive reviews, and a lot of it had to do with, as we talked about before, Neil Patrick Harris, the mature tone, the writing, the animation. A lot was also made about the soundtrack. So when I went back and watched this again, the music did stand out. It had a bit more of that techno sound that was very popular in the late 90s and the early early 2000s. It also received a lot, uh, some criticism from fans because it diverged from the sequel to the 2002 film. And as we mentioned, there was the, the next sequel to the Sam uh, Raimi film, which was in 2004. A lot of stuff in MTV Spider-Man didn't match up with Spider-Man 2 at all. But however, in 2004, the series was nominated for Outstanding Achievement in an Animated Television Production, and the episode Keeping Secrets was nominated for Outstanding Storyboarding in Animated Television Production. So while a lot of people may look back on this now under the lens of that CGI, at the time, this was very well received. And again, I think a lot of it had to do with the platform being on MTV, trying to appeal directly to that demographic, and it allowed them to explore a lot more of these issues. All in all, I really enjoyed this series. If you look back past some of the CGI that got a little old, I thought the show was very well done. So, Will, overall, what are your thoughts on this series uh, and any of the characters? I know you already mentioned the last two episodes were your two favorite. Anything else in there you wanted to talk about as far as the series on a whole? 
you said, this this show was great. And back in 2003, this was probably one of the best animated shows on TV, just because it brought realism to it. We're looking at it back at it from, you know, in 2022. So yeah, we can nitpick small pieces here and there. But back then, this show was it. It was the best thing going. I really, going back and looking at it more, I enjoyed what they did with Doc Connors being the lizard, giving it a different history, more of an anti-government kind of person. And the part where Peter is talking to Dr. Connors in the lizard form, I thought that was kind of interesting. And I would have liked to have seen that kind of explored more in season two. Um, but no, overall, great show. I enjoyed it. I'll probably go back and watch it again now, just so like you mentioned the music. I didn't really listen to the music as much, but I think I'll do that next time. If there's one character you could have in the show that wasn't, I know, again, it was only 13 episodes. Who would it be? Now, for me, I'm going to jump in and give you mine real quick. One of my most favorite Spider-Man villains ever, and I read the original comic when he was first introduced, has got to be the Rhino. I absolutely freaking love the Rhino as a Spider-Man villain. Don't know why. I mean, he's not that intelligent. He's a big brute. He's, you know, basically trapped inside a big giant rhino suit which begs to differ how does he pee it's probably got a cap but if i had to pick a character in here i thought the rhino would have worked well as an assassin in here because some of the other characters it wasn't brute strength it was they were uh had a lot of technology like pterodax uh that where rhino would have done just the opposite he would have been just a straight up brute strength villain it would have been fun to see them have him in this environment with college kids, because I think that would have added a whole new element to the show. That's just my two bits. I would have liked to have seen a tease of Dr. Octopus, where Osborne, Oscorp was starting to form that relationship with uh, Doc Ock. But Sandman, I've always liked the Sandman in the comics. I would have enjoyed seeing something with Sandman in these uh, 13 episodes, if that had been possible. That would have been something planned out for season two, if they would have done it. So, yeah, I've always been a big fan of Sandman, Rhino. Doc Doc would have made a lot of sense being on a college campus, right? Like they portrayed him in that second Spider-Man movie. He he was a scientist and a researcher. It would have made sense if they would have brought Doc Ock in. Maybe they would have in season two. Maybe here's what we do. Well, you and I write a script for 13 episodes for a season two of this show and see if they'll make it the way we want to. What do you think? I think we could do that. This show had a lot of potential. I think it really could have even done more than what it did. Disappointing it lasted one season, but I really liked the mature tone and the themes and how it was so much more expressive that way. Again, I understand they were trying to hit that MTV audience, but it just felt like a more adult version of Spider-Man animation. I really enjoyed it. Too bad it's it, it's over. But before we... uh. Before we wrap this thing up and call it a show, well, is there anything else you wanted to talk about? Any final thoughts on Spider-Man 2003 MTV Spider-Man? Not necessarily, but going back to the script thing, let's look at it in the sense of we could rewrite Spider-Man 3. Goodness gracious, we could do an entire episode on just how bad that movie was written and produced and put on theaters. Can you imagine Venom on this show, the mature theme on it, how he could have really stood out? versus what was a Topher Grace's character. So that would be kind of fun to do. It was nice to see the college years. You kind of wonder why Empire State University had so much bad stuff happen in that little you know, square footage of that campus. 
but it's to keep everything contained and allow those perfect 90 degree corners in the animation to, to uh, be easier film. <laughs> so, yeah, I really enjoyed this series. I'm probably going to watch it again uh, coming up just because that's what I do. I find something I like and I'll watch it and over and over and over and over and over. And many of us do that. It's better than watching some of the stuff that's being churned out now. Again, like Spider-Man 3. Man, that was a stinker. Hey, Will, I can't thank you enough for joining us today on What's Shaking with Shanner and being a part of our return to our, our, our spinning theme of things that we like to call Shaking Shaner's tantalizing turn of, of topics. topics. I'm pretty sure this is your first time being on a podcast. So, hey, what'd you feel about the experience? And if you didn't like it, tell me that's okay. Just you're never going to be on again. No, I enjoy it. I hope I get a chance to come on again. I think this time, though, I'll be more prepared. I'll have my Pedialyte with uh, additional electrolytes so I don't get dehydrated and take a nap as we're talking. But um, between that and now, I feel like I need to go take my afternoon nap. So, yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Hey, Nerd Herd. Hope you enjoyed today's episode on the animated series Spider-Man 2003 or MTV Spider-Man. Again, a very great thank you to Will that's right, a member of the Nerd Herd himself for joining us in our discussion on all things Spider-Man. Remember, you can find us on all platforms or at our website, and I can be found on Twitter at Shaken Shaner, no G and Shaken, and Psycho Bob the Cat, yeah, I know, he's a fan favorite, he can be found on Twitter at Psycho Bob the Cat, except instead of a T at the end, it's a one. He's got no thumbs, people, give him a break. You can also reach out to us with your comments on this episode or any other episodes with any ideas or suggestions that you have. You can reach us at Shaner, S-H-A-N-E-R, Shaner at ShakenShaner.com. Remember, there is no G in Shaken. Thank you out there so much for checking out today's episode and for deciding to spend some of your precious time with What's Shaken with Shaner. Until the next time when we again journey into the passion and the madness of the geek, the nerd, and often the absurd. Thanks, everyone.